What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Outdoors Podcast. This is one that I am super excited to be bringing you. My buddy Paul over at Altitude Outdoors Podcast actually teamed up with me and we recorded the same conversation together that we're actually going to be launching simultaneously on both of our channels. So here's the here's the deal. Do me a favor. If you are finding this on my channel, if you are a fan of mine, if you've listened to the podcast before, if you subscribe to the YouTube channel, if you go to the website, whatever, go listen to this on his channel. Go find him on Apple, on Google. He's on all the different podcast channels. And if you really want to be in for a treat, we actually did this on video and he's publishing it on YouTube. So go check it out on his channel. Listen to some of his other episodes. Scan through his Twitter. Check out his Instagram. I think his channel is really awesome. It's what I aspire to be better uh, and make Outdoors Podcast even uh, more impressive. I think I really want to be more like his channel. So uh, you'll see some uh, some borrowing from his channel and some of the things that he does in the future because I just, I really look up to him and I think he is doing some really cool things, not only with his channel, but also just some of the adventures he's gone on. I think Paul's a really, really fun, cool, interesting guy. Uh, we talked about backpacking, kayaking, hunting, land use. We talked about uh, fishing. We talked about hammocks. We talked about all kinds of stuff. This is a really cool episode. So without further ado, let's just get right in. We're slightly above everybody else on the intellectual <laughs> scale, I think. Altitude sickness is no joke. Once it gets below zero, it's cold. There are a lot less sportsmen now than there were, say, 20 years ago. You're actually, you were used as a pawn okay. in our game to figure out what it was that we were doing wrong. You know, at that point, we didn't have one great tent. Like, we had one good tent one not good tent. <laughs> yeah. Wind was just whipping. Uh, there was, like, snow BBs <laughs> just, like, pelting the face. <laughs> so... So a little backstory, scrolling through Twitter, see this podcast called The Outdoors Podcast. And I'm like, that's sweet. I have an outdoors podcast. Uh, run into you, AJ. I'm like, hey, dude, I listen to your podcast. Let's let's hit it up because we have a lot in common. It's crazy. Like listening to my podcast and your podcast is like listening to the same podcast. We have a lot in common. It's pretty weird. <laughs> this could be a six-hour podcast. Well, I but- think, yeah, we're going to set a hard, hard out. So, hey, man, why don't you kind of, like, tell me some of your, like, backstory, and then I'll, I'll give you some of my backstory of, like, how how you got into the outdoors stuff, because for a lot of people, it doesn't just happen. You don't just, like, wake up one day, and you're like, outdoors are sweet. Yeah, yeah, but- and this is, this is going to be fun, because although I'm a big talker, and I love to tell stories, you know, I've only done 13-ish episodes of my podcast, and so most of the the episodes I've done have been interviews with my friends and people that I've met, and so I'm trying as much as I can to focus the episodes on, you know, their experiences and their stories, uh, so it'll be fun to kind of give some background that I probably haven't even, like, really fully gone to for my own <laughs> listeners. That'll be kind of fun. Um, so my background is, is I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, where I still currently live. Um, I was really fortunate that my, my parents decided to send me to this really small, uh, kind of granola grade school, uh, called the college school of Webster Groves. And it's super focused on outdoor education and experiential learning. And so in preschool, you start with like a day in the park, 
And then every year that you get older, they add like a night to the annual camping trip. And then there's all kinds of other stuff that they're doing leading to these camping trips. But I mean, in fifth grade, you spend the night in a cave and don't see light for like 36 hours. In sixth grade, you do a five-day portage canoeing trip through Kentucky and, you know, you're carrying backpacks and canoes and all this stuff. Uh, by the eighth grade, you're going, you know, canoeing in the Okefenokee swamps in Georgia and the Sapelo Islands. It's a pretty wild place. And it's uh, a really small school. There's only like 20 kids per class. And so it's very kind of um, a small teacher to student ratio. And, and you call your teachers by their first names. Um, so, you know, you're walking through, you'll see like third graders going, Hey Tim to like a 40 year old. Um, and, and it's a really great place to grow up. And we, we learned backpacking and canoeing and, you know, there's this story, I think I may have told it, so I'll keep it short, but, uh, on our backpacking portaging trip in sixth grade, you basically bring all your stuff to school. The teachers check it for you. You put it in the storage bin and then you pick it up the next day before you leave on the trip. Uh, I went, we did my you know, check, whatever. I go on the trip. I'm like three days in. It's my turn to take some of the trash from the group and put it in my empty pocket of my backpack that I've been holding. And I op open the backpack and there's a brick in it. And it says, ha ha, love dad. And so he'd written a Sharpie on this. I mean, literally I've been carrying like six pounds and I'm in sixth grade and I didn't even know it. And for like three days. And so I just had this awesome upbringing, um, you know, through the school. And so I did a ton of backpacking and all those kinds of other trips. And then I really got out of it. I got super into sports. I was pretty athletic growing up. So I got, uh, it was into track and soccer and baseball and some other stuff. And then I got really into football and that carried me through college. I actually played, uh, at a couple of different colleges, small schools, so nothing significant, but uh, fast forward like 10 years, I moved back to St. Louis after college and, uh, some friends from high school invited me on a float trip and I'd never been on a float trip and was just like, all right, man, let's try that out. And we went canoeing down on the current river in South central Missouri. It's probably two and a half hours away from St. Louis where we live. And there was like 12 or 13 of us on the trip and we went canoeing and we, we basically slept on the side of the river on these gravel bars, just pitch tents. And we had unbelievable food and it was just really fun and like a switch just flipping. I was like, oh, this is the thing I'm going to do. I've had a hard time figuring out who I was going to be as an adult after football because I just didn't really, I kept saying like, oh, I'm a former college athlete, <laughs> but I didn't, I wasn't like, well, I'm also this guy going that way. And so it really kind of immediately gave me this thing that I was like, oh, I'm going to be an outdoorsman. This is going to be awesome. And I've always been into gear and gadgets and toys and things like that. And if you're into gear, the outdoors is your heaven. Uh, because for every hobby, there is 8 million manufacturers that wants to sell you their version of the best stuff. Mm -hmm. And so it really kind of like fueled the researcher in me and the, the, the learner and the dork in like, I want to know all the little finite details about each little piece of gear. And so I really fell into the, the kind of the trap early where I was way more into the gear than I was into actually going outside and doing the stuff. And so we've all been there, man. I was the guy that was like sitting in my gear closet at home, fantasize, like putting all my gear in my bag, going like, all right, if it was 35 degrees out and it was going to be 70 degrees and I was going to be wet, uh, this is the gear I would bring. And I would like pack my bag up and then I wouldn't go anywhere. And so 
I finally ended up um, meeting this really fantastic girl, my current girlfriend and future wife, this girl named Sarah. And Sarah is coincidentally also into backpacking and the outdoors and really likes to go and hike and, and is absolutely head over heels in love with her dog more than any person I've ever met. Uh, so together we have a couple of dogs. Uh, she brought me, he's now 12, uh, a yellow lab. And then we have a four-year-old Australian shepherd that I got just before we met. We've been together for four years. And um, it really expanded my amount of going out and doing stuff. And so in the time that we've been together, we've been to Colorado twice. We've been to Yosemite once. We've gone uh, lots of times to southern Missouri, both backpacking and fly fishing and trout fishing. Um, we bought an RV together and we're renovating that, which we'll get into and talk about. Um, and our, our hope long-term, and, and I mean, really, we were really hoping to leave like before COVID hit, um, was to, to take like a year long journey across the Western United States and try and figure out where we want to live next. Because we've both decided that, you know, St. Louis has been awesome and it's served our purpose, but we want to try something different. And so the RV is going to be kind of our thought of, of going and getting out. So we've been renovating it for a couple of years. We've taken it on a few trips. It's broken down a few times. Uh, it's a 30 year old RV, so it's going to have some hiccups. Um, oh, yeah. but that's kind of my background. I mean, I spent, you know, a, a lot of time growing up and then I took a little short break, uh, for probably 10 years. And then I've been whole hog back into it for about seven or so. So, uh, super into yeah. backpacking, fly fishing, canoeing, kayaking. Uh, we, we have dreams of having some horses down the road. Um, we've got to get some land and some skills before that happens, but, um, yeah, just kind of generally into being outside. And I'll tell you what, I think what really drives my interest in the outdoors is doing it with other people. Um, mm -hmm. I've been on some solo backpacking trips and I do like fishing by myself and some of those things, but, uh, where I really find my enjoyment in the outdoors is more than anything, uh, when I'm with other people, uh, when we get to go out and enjoy it together and especially float trips or backpacking trips, that's been a real, real point of enjoyment for me. So, I mean, I know that you did an AT through hike. That's kind of your mm -hmm. signature piece, but you know, tell yeah. me a little bit more about your background. I've listened to a few episodes, but, but give me kind of your background. Yeah, man, I, I grew up, so my my dad, his, like, goal when we were kids was to get us out of, like, suburbia, the city of, like, Toledo, Ohio. So when I was, like, I don't know, I was, like, seven or eight, he bought this 10-acre lot of woods in southern Michigan, and it was just, like, insanely altering to me as a kid because, like, I went from, like, you know, you'd have like a, a one story ranch house in, in, in the city and we were like on the outskirts, we had like maybe like a two acre yard of just grass to like a forested swamp woodland. And I spent my summers bitching and complaining about uh, having to like cut wood and, and do all these chores out in the woods. And then, you know, you just get used to it. And then I just like fell in love with the woods and my friends and I, we, we, we like hit a, a phase and like a, in Ohio, I guess. And, and well, Michigan's a huge outdoor state. I, there, you I was listening to one of your podcasts earlier. Like he, the guy was saying, Michigan's like the place to be to, for like sweet outdoor stuff in in my area, and he's totally right. But in like where I was at in Ohio, I I kind of figured this all out on my own. I would like there's a place called Hocking Hills. There's a place called um, what is it? I don't know. Whatever. I can't think of it right now. But there's there's all these places that are like hours and hours drives for us. And my friend and I would, Nate, we would just get in the car. We'd go to Walmart and buy like 
$30 shit tents and we would just drive around and camp. We didn't have sleeping pads. We didn't have blow up matches. We didn't know about any of that stuff. We had like secondhand army gear and I fell in love with it. Yeah. And then, uh, I was in this, uh, heavy metal band and we, after high school and we just drove around the country and I saw like Yellowstone. I saw like Texas. I saw the desert. I saw all this crazy stuff that like a 16 and 18 year old me was like, Whoa, I saw this in a calendar or in a textbook in school and I got back home and then I was like, I'm, I'm going to through hike the AT like that. I don't know what that was like the next jump in my brain. And I did it. And like, dude, that's like, like you whole hog. It's like all I give a shit about anymore is the outdoors. It's like everything I do is based on the outdoors. Oh yeah. I, I try and take a photography outside. I, go outside as much as humanly possible. I talk about the outdoors. It's just like, it's like a crazy addiction that I can't shake. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you know, it was funny because as, as a marketing guy, you know, the reason I started my podcast was because I wanted to be able to do this kind of work. I really believe in it. I think it's a really great platform for establishing credibility, especially if you're in a really crowded industry. Um, and there's lots of really great information and, and marketing stuff that can come out of podcasts and creating content and all that stuff. And so I really was trying to encourage clients and people to start moving in that direction with their communication strategies. Mm-hmm. And everybody was like, well, yeah, but you don't do it. And I was like, <laughs> you know, that's a real valid point. And so I decided, I was like, you know what? I'm not totally sure that like being a marketing consultant is what I want to do forever. So let's build it on something that I want to do forever. Like if I'm going to have to do this to prove the point, then let's just do it on something that you really truly enjoy because then you'll actually put in the work and effort. And so I started, you know, Outdoors Podcast and I'm going to get into the name of it because it was really funny. Um, I started thinking about what was I going to name my podcast and um, my, my girlfriend actually came up with a really funny idea. Um, do you cuss on your podcast, by the way? Fuck yeah. Okay, cool. I just wanted to make sure. Uh, I cuss a lot, but I wanted to be like respectful of your audience, depending on how you do this. Um, so my girlfriend was like, you should call it. She goes, she basically goes, my, my girlfriend's a lot funnier than I am. Uh, and she was like, the way I see it, there's two kinds of people in the world. There's people that shit in the woods and there's people that don't. So you should call your podcast shitting in the woods. And I was like, right. I really like that idea. I'm absolutely going to do that. And so I went and the domain name was available and I was like, weird. Okay. I'll check that out. And then I started looking and I was like, ah, the Twitter handles taken the Instagram handle. Mm. There was like, there's literally an Instagram handle for all of you out there called shitting in the woods. And it's just photos of people's trousers down around their ankles in gorgeous (laughs) outdoor spaces. It's actually really amazing. Uh, I'm going to look that up. Credit to them. It's actually a pretty fantastic channel. Uh, they're not super active, but I was like, they do enough that I knew I wasn't going to be able to sneak the, the domain name away from, you know, I wasn't going to be able to get the yeah. handle from them without like paying for it. So yeah. I, I can't remember how Outdoors Podcast came about, but I was just like, there's no way. And I looked, and this is only like three or four years ago, and OutdoorsPodcast.com was available. How? I don't know. And I, what the shit? I was just like, oh, okay, well, there's the name. Get done. Uh, I was like, it's super hard to find. Because when I tell you, the problem is when I tell you go search Outdoors Podcast on Apple, you better know what my logo looks like. 
There's a thousand. Because if you don't, you're going to have to filter yeah. for a long time before you find me. And so there's advantages of it and there's disadvantages. But what I really, I got into it just as a way to prove to clients that like, hey, this thing works. It can help you gain credibility because like if anybody goes, hey, what are you into? I can go, oh, I'm into the outdoors. And they can go, really? Are you really? Or are you just saying you're into the outdoors? I can go, go to outdoorspodcast.com. And they immediately, credibility is like, oh yeah, I go on trips. I've gone backpacking. I've made videos about it. I have podcasts Mm -hmm. with, you know, people. And so I was basically just trying to encourage clients to do the same thing. And then as you said, the obsession starts building. And then all of a sudden you start meeting people and it starts connecting dots to people like yourself. I, you and I never would have met without our channels. And I have a feeling you and I will be probably pretty good buddies down the road. I was saying earlier before we started, I was like, dude, it's so weird listening to your podcast because I feel like I'm listening to my podcast. It's so but someone weird. else is doing it because, like, I immediately was like, A, it sounds awesome. This oh, quality is you. good. You're talking about the same shit I talk about with everyone, and it's just super awesome. And I like, you just have a, you're in a different area. Like, you're in Missouri. Yeah. I'm in Ohio. Yeah. And we're still in the Midwest. It's very weird. Yeah, and it's, how is how is Missouri in the Midwest? By the way, it's like it's like it was like a hundred inches from Texas or something. So the it's funny like, thing, crap. so the funny thing is, is like, well, you've got Arkansas in the middle. Yeah. So, but like I said something, my my last guest, uh, Casey, who lives in Kentucky, like to me, Kentucky, I don't know why Kentucky's the Midwest to me. Because I lived in Indiana, Indiana was the Midwest, and so I just picture Kentucky straight below Indiana. So I'm like, no, oh, the yeah, southern it's the same. accent hits when you get into Kentucky for sure. And I said, like, like, I said to Casey, like, yeah, we're fellow Midwesterners. He's like, no, I'm not. And I was like, you almost got hit. Yeah, he was like, no, I'm from the southeast. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, good call. You kind of are. Uh, and so I, I the, the funny thing is, is like in in my business world, you know, different companies define territories different ways. And so, like, I have a friend that works for a giant company that delivers all the crap that comes to your house all the time. I'll just say that. And she runs a territory from the Midwest, and she goes to, like, Pennsylvania and, like, out to Colorado. You know, so it's it's kind of hard to define. But, yeah, I mean, St. Louis is an interesting city in that we are right on the Mississippi, um, but we don't use the river outside of, like, industrial kind of shipping for anything like our riverfront is not really a thing i wish it was uh they've made some really big efforts and they've revamped the arch grounds and that's actually a national park that i didn't realize was a national park um right in our downtown area nobody from st louis goes to the arch by the way uh i hate to say it they're, they're making a lot of efforts to make it cooler nobody cares i've been there once it's, the coolest thing in st louis is the city museum that is really awesome I, I went there in college for a conference, uh, anthropology nerd. We were, had a presentations and stuff, and we literally got so hungover at the uh, city museum from just drinking in the bar all night that we almost like had to skip our presentations. The city museum <laughs> is a really fun place. It's it's got two two purposes. A during the day, it's like a children's museum, and it's got tunnels yeah. and wild stuff there's a school bus hanging off the ceiling of the place and it's like 20 feet 20 stories tall it's a pretty cool place and then at night it basically turns into a really kind of a weird kitschy bar scene for for adults 
Um, but what you what you missed in St. Louis that is probably the coolest thing for an outdoors person. Uh, St. Louis has the single largest city funded park in the United States. Really, and so our Forest Park, right in the middle of our kind of midtown area, is. I can't remember how many times larger than Central Park, but it's like a factor of 10 or 20. Um, We have a huge park in downtown St. Louis-ish area. Um, It's technically considered the Central West End where it's located, but it is our art museum, which is 100% free, really cool Mm -hmm. museum. Uh, Our zoo, which is currently ranked the number one zoo in the country, 100% free. All you need to do is pay for parking, but there's free parking all over the park. Um, there is a bunch of other St. Louis history museum is located there. And then there are just, I, I got to imagine well over a hundred acres of grass and, and, uh, there's, uh, I think 36 holes of golf. I mean, it's a huge park. And if That's you're visiting awesome. St. Louis and it's not too hot out, it's a fantastic right. place to like grab a picnic lunch, go hang out, spend mm-hmm. a day. Definitely encourage people to do that. If you're visiting St. Louis, it's an awesome park. Well, what's, what's kind of sweet for you, you're, you're closer to the West than, than you are to the, like, like I'm closer to the Appalachian mountains. You're closer to like the Rockies and stuff. Yeah. Significantly closer. Like I would say Missouri from Ohio is probably like, what, like a 14 hour drive, 15 hour drive. Oh no, it's not even close. Dude, I can, I could be in Cincinnati in six hours. You going a hundred miles an hour, 60 miles an hour. So, so here's honest well, truth. St. Louis to Indianapolis is only a three and hour, three hour and forty five minute drive. Okay. And that's Indianapolis to Cincinnati is only like an hour and a half. So it's that's like maybe a, I'm just bad at geography. It's like, now I will say this because from my parents live in South Carolina. They used to live in St. Louis. They moved to South Carolina when I moved home, and they board. They bought a sailboat, sold all of their worldly possessions, moved aboard the sailboat, lived aboard for seven years. Traveled the East Coast. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, That's sweet. Went down to the Caribbean a couple of winters and and really enjoyed themselves. And then they settled in a little town, excuse me, near Paris Island uh, in South Carolina. And um, that's only about a 12 and a half hour drive from here. Really? Yeah. Now you're cutting down to Atlanta. No, no, no. I mean, I can get to, to Columbus in probably seven, eight hours. Nice. Uh, now, that's if you like wanted to go clear up to the corner, right up near the yeah. lake, then that's up near Cleveland. That's going to be a lar- longer drive. But we did the road trip to Colorado two years ago. And from St. Louis to downtown Denver is probably like 14 hours. Mm. Um, so either way, it's long. Um, yeah. we, we went to that's the how red... long it. Go ahead. That's how long it would take me to get to Maine. 14, 16 hours. Yeah, from here. see, I've made that drive a few times. You're about the same distance to the East Coast as I am to like Colorado. But yeah. the like West West, I mean, California is like 36 hours. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's not even in my, in my range. I'm not even considering that. But so I'm interested in these uh, float trips you're talking about. You have a whole, almost two full podcasts about float trips. Yeah. Uh, you do a solo one, really interesting. It sounds awesome because. Around where I live, within a few hours, they have stuff like that. But where I live specifically, 
the river here is like very underutilized. It's starting to get up. It's kind of, it sounds like how the Mississippi is for you. Like it's this huge resource right in the middle of your city, but like people aren't using it recreationally, I guess. Yeah. The same I mean, river here. The, the Mississippi, when you get to St. Louis, granted is, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of yards wide and huge. it's, it, it, you can't get in it unless you're in like a legit motorboat. Like you wouldn't go kayak in the Mississippi. Um, and so I'm not saying that like water sports should be downtown or anything, but like we should be utilizing the waterfront as an attraction, as some sort of mm-hmm. overlook, in my opinion. I, you know, I'm not a I'm not in politics, nor do I want to be. So, um, but when it comes to the the rivers that we go floating on, you're primarily talking about like the Eleven Point, the Current, uh, the North Fork of the White River. There's a few kind of smaller kind of stream type rivers in in southern Missouri and we actually have quite a few spring fed rivers which is really cool uh so in the summer you have really cool waters which is great because they hold a lot of fish so we have really great trout fishing and smallmouth bass fishing in in Missouri um but the float trips are really great because you're on a piece of water that's probably I would say somewhere in the range of 50 or 60 feet wide uh, maybe a little bit wider in, in places. Most of the time you're in between six inches deep of water and call it 10 feet. I don't think you're ever in really super deep water. Um, and yeah. most of the time you're in two to three foot deep water. So you're in waist deep and it's crystal clear. So you can see everything. And it's you're thinking about a St. Louis summer, right? I'm sure it's pretty similar in Ohio. We've got really hot temperatures. We've got really high humidity. So a lot of our summers are, you know, 95, maybe 100 degrees for a month or so. I'm visibly sweating right now. It's nightmare. You can see- uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's it's a really great way because I, my backpacking season, I don't know about yours, it it's done in the summer. Like, I'm not a hot oh, weather yeah. hiker. I don't like the bugs. I don't like dealing with danger noodles very much. Uh, I don't have those up here. Yeah. We've got a bunch of them. Uh, (laughs) we've got timber rattlesnakes and we've got uh, our our diamondback rattlesnakes and we've got copperheads out the wazoo. Um, and so I pretty much just cut my, my backpacking season off during the summer. And I was like, man, I really want something to do, which is where fly fishing came in. Um, but previous to that, dude, you get six or eight of your buddies and everybody, you know, two people per canoe, you throw your stuff in dry bags. You can get them at Walmart, just the roll top kind of vinyl bags. Um, you know, you put a, a cooler of beer and a cooler of food and you paddle for six, eight hours a day. You normally cover like 10 miles a day. And for us, they've got these great canoe companies that are all over Southern Missouri and you drop your car off. It's typically like 40 bucks a day per canoe. So you're talking like 40 bucks a, a weekend for, for each canoe for the guys. Um, and that normally includes a shuttle service to whatever drop-off point up the river you want to be at. So you drop your car off, you go two stops up the river, 20 miles, you float 10 miles, that hits you to, you know, kind of a pullout. You just camp just north of it in the mor- or in that evening. And that way the next day you can hit the pullout, you get some more ice, you get some more beer, you dump all your trash, you get your next 10 miles, you hit the the pullout, jump in your car, and everybody goes home. That sounds awesome. It's unbelievable. Um, so it's trips like super, so great. super clear, super clean water. Unbelievable. Like farm. 
Yeah, that's probably that's a lot of the issue people have around here with our river is it's like there's a lot of farmland around, so it's like all that dirt runs into it, and they're they're like terrified of it. But we through paddled the whole river, the Maumee River, like was this two years ago now? And dude, it was so fun. We were doing like forty miles a day in kayaks. Oh it was nuts. Now, how yeah. many miles did you cover total? Oh, uh, one hundred and thirty-seven. Oh, and where did the idea you. for this come from? Um. Me and my wife and my friends are gluttons for punishment, and <laughs> we just wanted to prove that it was, like, not that bad. I mean, it was in flood season, so, okay, so the river's moving. We did it, like, peak flood season, and it was so much fun, though, because, like, most people I know won't step foot in the river. Yeah. And we were, like, going out and setting out to be, like, no, this is a sick resource just because it's a little dirty as long as you're not like trying to chug water out of it, you'll be totally fine. Yep. And uh, we made like a TV show episode about it. And we just, it, it's been awesome. That's like the whole, I'm preaching to the choir for you, but like the conservation ethic and, and stuff is we're trying to like raise awareness because we don't have as many opportunities. That it sounds like you guys have to do like crazy outdoor stuff all the time. Like you can drive up into Michigan or Southern Ohio, East, West, a couple hours, but directly in Toledo, that the opportunities like what you have is a little more limited, but it's growing like crazy. The parks around here are doing like crazy shit and it's so awesome. I'm so stoked for it. Yeah. I mean, I would but, say in St. Louis, like you're going to drive two to two and a half hours before you hit just about anything worth spending a lot of time on, uh, rivers, trails, all of it. So, I mean, in, when you live in St. Louis, you're essentially signing up. Like if you're going to be an outdoors person, your first two, two and a half hours of your weekend trip, and the last two and a half hours are going to be driving. Um, but if you're willing to start that circle out 200, you know, two, two and a half hours, there's a ton of stuff down. We've got a, you know, 200 something mile Ozark trail that cuts all the way through Missouri. Mm -hmm. We've got a ton of great rivers. We've got four really fantastic trout parks, uh, specifically designed for, you know, harvest fishing. So you can go and take four or so fish a day out of the river. Um, and, and our waters are really beautiful, clean waters. And I think that makes a huge impact on people wanting to spend time in them, to go swimming in them, to enjoy them. Um, I think it makes people feel a lot more confident in a river when you can see the bottom and you know, like, oh, I can touch there. If yeah. we tip, it's not going to be the end of the world. Um, when it's a little darker, a little greener, it can be a little bit more intimidating for people. I get that. Um, I will say that if you are a little bit intimidated, I would definitely encourage you definitely try a kayak instead of a canoe. Um, mm -hmm. Canoes are fantastic when you know what you're doing and you've got a little experience and you're, you're qualified to, to steer them, quite frankly. Um, the way I think about it is if you were driving for the first time, would you want to drive a car or an RV, right? <laughs> And a, a canoe is kind of like an, actually. A, a, a canoe is a little bit like an RV, right? It's just like a little bit wobblier, a little bit harder to stop, a little bit harder to get going. Mm -hmm. Once they're going, they have awesome momentum and they're really mm -hmm. comfortable because you've got a little bit more room and you can move around a little bit more. Um, but when it comes to maneuverability and the ease of stopping it and just controlling where you're going, kayaking is the way to go if you're just getting into it for oh, yeah. sure. I love it. But we're both backpackers. Like by by like number one choice of activity, I would say we were both probably backpacker uh enthusiasts. So you are a gearhead. Oh, yeah. I was listening to your podcast and you were talking about gear and I'm like, holy shit. 
Like I don't even, I got lost because I, I am, I'm like what you talked about on one of your podcast episodes. I'm like the opposite. Like I used to be a huge gearhead, mm-hmm. but then I got so much damn gear and I'm just like, I don't know what to do with it. It, it. I have so much. Yeah. And and I think that's an evolution for most people. And what I've always tried to figure out is that I think most people like, so for example, footwear, do you wear boots or do you wear trail runners? Trail runners. Okay, perfect. You feed right into my, my, I, my <laughs> hypothesis, theory. right? So pretty much all backpackers end up wearing trail runners, right? Like, especially if you end up sub 20 pounds on your, your base weight, if you get into the more lightweight stuff, you're pretty much going to end up in trail runners. You're going to end up walking through the rivers versus taking your shoes off or protecting your boots. It's just the evolution. But for some reason, even though when you go on YouTube or you listen to podcasts, Excuse me. if you watch people that are experienced, they all end up there. But mm-hmm. for some reason, the newbies don't just skip all the stuff in the middle, myself included, and they go to the heavy boots and they're going to keep their feet dry, and they're going to take them off at every stream, and they're going to carry an extra set of water shoes, and their backpack's going to be way too heavy, and they're going to bring way too much stuff. And for some reason, we all go through that evolution, and then I think most of us end up with like, you know, a 10 to 15-pound backpack, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, depending on how crazy you get. And most of us settle on probably some pretty similar stuff. Uh, But there's a huge evolution in the middle. Yeah, I... I started with boots and um, and now I equate the term waterproof with if they get wet, they will stay wet forever. They will never dry. That's what waterproof means to me at this point. And uh, yeah, trail runners are so much more comfortable. But what you're also super huge into hammocking. Mm-hmm. And that's something I mean, I've I've have experience with hammock camping. Uh, tent camping but when i go backpacking generally my wife and i go together so like you and your girlfriend do you do you hammock separately or do you you yeah we do now so uh i've got a podcast coming out next tuesday with my buddy ed kimmel that we met through a group hammock trip and um we, we kind of talk a lot a little bit about this but basically um you can hammock under the same tarp there are even a couple of hammocks that are specifically designed for it uh, there's a company called dutchware gear that makes a chameleon call or a hammock called the chameleon and then they also make a suspension system called the beetle buckles uh, that are specifically designed to basically put about a three foot spreader bar just between the head end of the hammocks and that way you can hang on one set of trees Um, because normally what you're trying to do is find basically like a perfect square of trees that you've got two trees right close next to each other. And then you can be close enough where you can kind of talk and see each other, but you're still kind of under your own hammock or your own tarps. Mm -hmm. You end up spending so much time looking for those perfect trees that you get annoyed with it. And then eventually she just goes, I'm going on my own. Um, (laughs) and, and my girlfriend's a little bit unique. Um, so my girlfriend has a like diagnosed sleeping disorder where her her brain does not interpret sleep as efficiently as ours does for rest and so she just sleeps a little bit more than your average person and so if we're in the same structure I'm typically disturbing the hell out of her she's getting mad at me so actually it works out really well for us that like I have my own thing she has her own thing if we're out west, she's typically the one with the bear mace. She's like, you can get eaten. I'm going to be cool. Um, <laughs> and so we probably should have two. Um, but, you know, 
it took about two times of us trying to hammock together to where she was like, peace, dude. I do not want you near me anymore. She made that decision for me. And ever since then, we've both been really comfortable just sleeping like that. What's so I uh, the one thing I think I lack a lot on my podcast is gear. I don't talk about it very often. So what would you say is like unlimited funds, unlimited resources, custom, whatever. If someone wanted to get like the sickest hammock setup mm. that ever existed, what would you what's your recommendation? Because you're all about it. Yeah. So, you know, and the funny thing is, is I've kind of fallen off of like being as obsessed with that as I used to be, I've really kind of shifted to the fly fishing side of things. And it's not because I'm less interested in backpacking. I'm still super into backpacking. I just kind of found the setup that works really well for me. And I haven't found it to be lacking in anything. So I don't really dig too deep into like continuing because I'm not I'm like, all right, I got the stuff I need. I can go. I don't need to spend more money on that. I can spend more money on other stuff, equipment, fly fishing gear, microphones, stuff like that. Um, also expensive. Yeah. I have never found a cheap hobby. I don't know what it is. Everything I get into is expensive. You sound like my wife. Yeah. Uh, so, well, the deal is right now, until my girlfriend has a ring on her finger, I'm not allowed to buy anything over $100, which is hard. Because uh, basically- might as well just quit the outdoors. Yeah, everything costs $100. So, so to answer your question, if you really wanted to get into like the Cadillac Rolls-Royce- upper echelon of hammocks. I think there's probably two or three companies that most people would look at. Um, there's a company called Dream Hammocks that is probably, if, if I really had to put one at the top of the list, it's probably Dream Hammocks. It's a cottage vendor. It's really typical in the hammock backpacking industry is a lot of kind of like small mom and pop shops that are doing stuff in their garage or they've got a shed, you know, a little pole barn. Maybe they've got a tiny little place with like two or three employees but it's not some big conglomerate. Most of the stuff's being made as you order it, and they've got a lot of customization options. So with Dream Hammocks, like you can literally pick the color of the thread that they use to stitch each side of everything they do. I mean, every little component is color changeable, and you can call them, and they will walk you through every single option they have. They will customize it to you. And then every single time they make a hammock, they post it on their website. And so all of the different ones that have ever been made are there. And they have like all their specs and they can tell you exactly what it is. And so you can be like, oh, I like that part of that one and this part of that one. And if you don't know what you're doing, they'll literally get on the phone with you and go like, okay, tell me about you and where you backpack and how heavy you are and what you want. And, and that's you literally, customer service. it's unbelievable. And that's what they're really known for, right? There's another company that I mentioned earlier called Dutchware Gear that they make a huge selection of accessories and materials. Um, they they do a lot of like DIY stuff, so you can kind of build buy kits from there if you're more into kind of like sewing the stuff yourself. Um, they make a hammock called the Chameleon, which I'm a big fan of. It's probably a $300 hammock. Um, the Dream hammocks are probably somewhere in that same kind of range. They want to—I'd say they probably start in like the 100, 150 range, and then go up to 300, depending on how many options and features you want. Um, and then the other thing about the Dream hammocks is like they're currently on about a seven or eight week lead time before they start making your hammock. So plan ahead. Um, yeah. If you're planning a trip in like two weeks and you want a Dream hammock, they have some stock of like available you know, normal stuff, but it's pretty few and far between in my understanding. Uh, Dutchware here, I think keeps a little bit more stuff kind of readily available in stock. Um, but they do a lot of, you can order a chameleon 
almost as custom as you can a dream hammock. I think, I think you can make a lot of different, you know, option mm -hmm. selections. Um, but here's the funny thing. So I own an Eno double nest hammock, the, the like $60 REI, you know, budget classic, classic yeah. hammock that everybody and their brother has. Um, I own a $200 custom made different lay. Cause most people lay from like left head, left feet, right. Cause you don't, when you lay in a hammock, you don't lay straight down the middle of it. Like a banana, you actually lay on a diagonal and when you do, it actually yeah. kind of flattens you out. So you don't lay in a, mm -hmm. a, a, a curve. And most people, for some reason, just more comfortable. They put their head on the left and their feet out to the right. I sleep the opposite direction. And so when I ordered this hammock, I had to have them custom make it to basically switch it. And mine's double layered. It's got a bug net. It's got all these pullouts and shelves and all this stuff. And it's a great hammock. It's made by a company called uh, Warbonnet. And they make both of my tarps. Really cool I've cottage manufacturer. They make everything by hand in Colorado. It's really high quality stuff. Um, I personally found myself getting a little claustrophobic with the bug net up. And very rarely am I going backpacking when there's bugs. And so I was like, well, I have this old Eno sitting around that I know is not quite as comfortable as this, but it does the job. Uh, yeah. I guess I'll just go use that. And for some reason, I've just never stomached the money. Uh, now, I've got like $600 quilts. Uh, and, you know, expensive tarps and all that kind of stuff. Um, what I always tell people, if, like, you want to go ham on a, on a hammock, you're going to spend 300 bucks on the hammock. You're going to spend probably 250 to 300 on each of your quilts, so a top quilt and an under quilt. And then if you really want to get the, the Rolls-Royce of tarps, uh, it's a company called Hammock Gear, and or there's another company called Light AF. You can imagine what the AF stands for. Um, and they both make Always tarps. Fun. Exactly. Uh, they both make tarps out of a material called Cuban fiber, which if you're at all versed in backpacking, you've heard of before. It's a super, super lightweight, but fairly durable, uh, incredibly waterproof material that is astonishingly light. And I'll give you some perspective. My tarp by Warbonnet, uh, is a 12 foot tarp. So the ridge line of the tarp itself is kind of like an A-frame. Mm -hmm. The length of the A-frame uh, is 12 feet long. And then mine has built-in doors, which are just additional flaps of material that fold together at the ends to kind of make what looks like a tent, like an old Boy Scout pup tent, kind of just hung up in the air. And um, that tarp itself is made out of a 20D sill poly. It's really thin, lightweight material. I think my tarp is like 22 ounces. Um, wow. if I had the same tarp in Cuban fiber, it would be nine ounces. Yeah. And my tarp's pretty lightweight. Uh, so Cuban fiber is some wild stuff. Uh, so if you really wanted to go Cadillac, you'd get, or, or Rolls Royce, you would have a, a Cuban fiber tarp from either hammock gear or light AF. Uh, I like light AF's new cut. They've got kind of a, a different cut on theirs that I think seems pretty cool. Um, you'd probably either get a dream or a, or a Darien hammock. Uh, or sorry, a Dream hammock or a, uh, a Dutchwear gear hammock. And then if you went with tarps, you'd probably go with either a company called Hammock Gear. Uh, Jacks are better is another really good one. And then one of the most popular ones lately uh, are some companies either Enlightened Equipment or um, what's the last one I'm thinking? Local Libre. Uh, all four of those that. companies are really good cottage manufacturers. They're all made in the United States and they're all really, really high quality. Um, they're all going to be expensive quilts okay on the flip side someone is like i want a hammock i got 200 bucks yeah 
Uh, so here's what I would do. I would go out and get, and you know, it depends on where you live, right? So if you have access to like an REI or a local, you know, outdoor retailer of some kind, go out and get an, an Eno. Uh, they're great hammocks. They're a little shorter than most. Like I think an Eno is like nine foot six or 10 foot long. And ideally you'd want an 11 foot hammock. They're a lot more comfortable. Um, that's the one thing I do regret about not getting rid of my Eno and getting a longer hammock, be more comfortable. Um, but you know, get an Eno hammock. They're great. Uh, put a, a sleeping pad in it. It's going to be annoying and you're not going to sleep as well as you would with an underquilt. And then just use your sleeping bag and like throw your sleeping bag in there. You're probably going to have a hard time like getting into it. Right. So maybe just leave it unzipped down the side and use it more like a top quilt. Um, but don't let the fact that hammock camping can be really expensive prevent you from going out. So like my first setup was the $75 Eno uh, jungle tarp, I think it was called. And it's like a 11 foot ridge line. It's like four feet wide on each side. It's super small. It's thick material. It's heavy. Uh, and you get almost no coverage. And I had a, an Eno double nest with the standard Atlas straps where you just hook in carabiners and yep. it's really easy. They're cheap. And then I just took like an old sleeping bag and a sleeping pad, just stuff that I had at my house. And eventually I bought a top quilt because my sleeping bag was pretty heavy. And mm -hmm. then eventually after that, I got tired of using the sleeping pad because they kind of slip around and they're not quite oh, yeah. all up on your shoulders. Um, and I got a, a, an underquilt and it took me like two years to slowly budget and buy my gear. Um, but, you know, it's been really great to have. And now that we have two sets, my girlfriend has a set of quilts now too. Um, I can use both and layer them and it gives me way more versatility for weather, right? So instead of going out mm -hmm. and buying another set of zero degree quilts, I'm just taking both of our twenties and between the two of them, two on top, two on bottom, I can go way below zero. So that's the cool thing about with backpacking I mean, so like kayaking, no matter what way you go is going to be pretty expensive because the kayak itself, unless you're going to Walmart and getting like a piece of shit, $200 kayak, that's going to break in like a month. Yeah. Like kayaking generally to get into is pretty expensive. Like I paid like a grand for my kayak and it's like just a okay one. I got, you, you're paying like $120 for a paddle and then you got dry bags. I mean, you're, you're talking about like a two, $3,000 investment and the on the the lighter end, you can get into backpacking for like five hundred bucks or four hundred bucks if you really go like cheap and like not high end gear, and then you start building over time. I mean, I'm a, I'm on the opposite. Like when I went to through hike the Appalachian Trail, I had no backpacking experience, and I researched the living shit out of it, and then I got high end lightweight gear because I knew I would be gone for six months. So like. I feel like the average backpacker probably starts out like just acquiring stuff here and there. And you see people with the sleeping bags that are like a foot and a half around the, Coleman. the top of their bag. Yeah. yeah. Like you can do that, but it's, it, it, you can do it for cheap just to start. There's so, like, there's so many options. My girlfriend did Glacier National Park with her best friend. They road tripped there from Missouri in a BMW Z3 convertible. So like the smallest Miata little size car you can get. Um, they did three or I think they did four days and three nights of backpacking through Glacier and some like pretty rugged terrain. 
and she used a 25 liter Ozark trail backpack with a $30 Coleman sleeping bag just strapped to the bottom of it with like bungee cords and took mm. sunflower seeds and beef jerky uh, and had like a piece of junk tent and tarp and hammock and it all fell apart and they ended up getting like oh, yeah. hailed and rained on and she lived and yeah. you know and when we went when we got into backpacking together we went on a trip together like our first overnight backpacking trip and we brought our dogs and she got her backpack out and like of the car because we didn't live together at the time uh-huh. and I was like what is that and she was like it's my backpack and I was like right but where's your backpacking backpack she's <laughs> like this is my ba-. I was like it doesn't have a waist strap Kara or Sarah yeah and she was like yeah it does and I was like, where? And she pulled out, like, literally the little thinnest, tiny, itty-bitty yep. strap. And I was just like, this is a disaster. And yeah. she had a perfectly fine weekend. And I had to force her to buy a different backpack. She was totally fine with it. So Yeah, I mean, the, the point that I'm getting at is, like, it can be done for cheap. It's just not comfortable. You're going to beat the piss out of yourself with cheap gear. You're yeah. going to – I mean, it's – but if you want to get into it, you can. But it is, like, the cheap stuff will beat you up. So here's a question that I've always wondered, right, is, A, why do more either outdoor retailers or why is there not, like, a Netflix system for, for backpacking gear where they just mail you, like, a full setup for 100 bucks a weekend and That's you just throw it back in a box, ship it back, they wash it, do whatever they need to do send it back out because there's a lot like the, the challenge for a lot of people is you may go out on a backpacking trip with your friends and you may, wow, this is really fun. And then all of a sudden you want to get into it and you're right. Like you can start off cheap and kind of build from there, but you're still talking like hundreds and hundreds of dollars Mm -hmm. to get going most of the time. And you know, you're going to, you're going to have to buy a stove and a cook set and you're going to have to get some clothes and maybe a pair of boots or shoes or something like there's some expenses. Mm-hmm. Have you ever found in kayaking that the, what is the market like on the secondary side? Like, do people sell kayaks for a reasonable discount after owning them? Like, can you find them at garage sales? Is is there anywhere to find an inexpensive kayak? I'm part of a, a group on Facebook. That's it's like the Northwest Ohio River Runners. They're like the kayaking group in our area, and they're are people selling kayaks on there and it's usually pretty reasonable. I mean, you can get like a pretty okay kayak, like a sit inside, like long, like, like kayak that's tracked, like for long distance, not just like a recreational Mm -hmm. kayak for tooling around in the pond. They'll sell people will sell them used for like two, 300 bucks. So yeah, there is a resale market, but it's still like, that's just the kayak. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's it. I mean, you, but you can pay, you can pay $500 for a backpack. You can pay $100 for a backpack. My backpack costs like 250 bucks. What kind of backpack you know? do you wear? I love the Osprey Exos. That's oh, yeah. been my like go-to. for. That's what I had on the Appalachian Trail uh, when I got back. Obviously, it was torn to shit. I got, a, I got the same one, just the newer model. And it's not ultra ultra light but it works for me because you you use the frameless packs right yeah like i've got ULA an e, uh, ula ulm 2.0 yeah so my i was ultra light in the at and then when i got home my my uh interest shifted to like 
camera equipment and that shit is heavy. Cameras well, are heavy. Do you consider do you consider cameras as part of your base weight or do you just like remove them? I just chuck them in. Gotcha. I take I take my I have a a, a down quilt uh, down it's not even a quilt it's like it's the outdoor vitals under quilt for their hammock system but it sure. like zips over your head and oh the I mummy pod that. system yep yep I use that as a sleeping bag or quilt or whatever it's not technically either any of those um, so I have ultralight gear and then my pack just gets heavy cause I have like a friggin' DSLR GoPro. I'll take a gimbal if I go out on a backpacking trip and that stuff that adds, I would say that adds 10 pounds to my pack. Oh, so now what camera do you run? I currently am rocking a Nikon D70, oh, nice. which is a big boy. I don't, yeah. I, I screwed up so bad. I should have went mirrorless. And I like chickened out at the last minute and I was like, damn it. Why did I do that? Yeah. And, uh, but whatever. And then the GoPros are like the best invention of all time. I oh, would say. they're unbelievable. I mean, I got really lucky. I literally have one right here. Like, oh yeah. They're fantastic. They're everywhere. I've got mine's around here somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's right here. Um, not sponsored by GoPro. Not sponsored yet. Yeah, more than welcome. <laughs> GoPro so. come with it. Um, I'll take free gear. Uh, yeah, I'll take guys. stickers at this point. Um, but uh, I, so I used to, when I got into cameras, it was, I was a marketing guy and most of my clients couldn't afford to hire photographers. And I was like, well, it's difficult for me to do my job if we don't have images. So I'm going to go out and buy like a Canon T6i $500 camera with a kit lens and start there. And for all of you out there that might be into photography at all, I mean, that's a, a great starter camera. If you just want to start, click, 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 like put it in auto, start playing around with zooming and, and focusing, and then just yep. start figuring it out from there. And eventually you're going to go into manual and you're going to start playing with aperture and ISO and all these other things that can help you make images, right? You start to evolve from just pointing your camera at something and clicking and going like, okay, what am I actually trying to show people with this image and there are settings that you can fuck with and, and by doing so you can really change the the dynamics of the photo mm-hmm. and so i went um i got this camera i started shooting i was kind of struggling to get better and a buddy of mine here in st louis who's named sean hotley is an unbelievable video production guy and he's a really good talented photographer too and I shot him a line. I was just like, dude, if you ever need help on a video shoot or a photography shoot and I'm available, like just shoot me a line. Let me know what you need. I'll hold cameras. I'll hold lights. I'll carry buckets of concrete. I don't care. I'll do whatever you need me to do. I just want to watch you work, right? Like that's my fastest way to get better at stuff is listening and watching people. And so like a week later, he called me and was like, dude, I'm shooting a commercial for a company. We're going to drive a a smart car through a wall of donuts. Do you want to come shoot with me. Yeah, I do. And so I went, I got to play around with lots of cameras. I helped build the wall of donuts and we had a ton of fun and I shot a bunch of behind the scenes footage. And then like two weeks after that, he calls me and he goes, dude, round trip flights to Miami are $117. Uh, I've got a rental car and a hotel. You want to go? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, so we went and we just shot for three days. We had no clients. We had no work. We just, he wanted to, to shoot stuff that he wasn't getting paid to shoot. And so we just went and he let me play with a bunch of his cameras and his lenses. And he was a Sony guy at the time. He still is at the current moment. And 
he showed me a camera with a digital viewfinder. And that, like, I don't know if you've ever played with the Sony cameras or, or with a camera with a digital viewfinder. Just a little bit. Yeah. Oh, dude. I mean, when you, I, so I was, I was listening to your podcast with Seth and you guys were talking about how you very rarely actually hold your face up yeah. to the viewfinder and you mainly just use like live view, right? Mm-hmm. I don't ever look at the screen. I am always in the viewfinder because of how vivid and beautiful and clear the screen is inside of there. Uh-huh. I, it, to me, it gives me a way better feel for the photo, but to each their own, like whatever, yeah, like obviously absolutely. Seth's a way more talented photographer. You're a way more talented photographer than I am. So uh, I don't know about that. All of you Seth, guys out there yeah. don't take advice. Seth is good. Um, but so I've been su- shooting on Sony for a while and it's a lot of the same reasoning as you is like, I'm trying to find the smallest package that I possibly can that packs the biggest amount of features. And so I've got a Sony a6500 with an 18 to 105 set aperture f4 lens, which is a really versatile, usable lens. I would love yeah. to have a 2.8 lens. They're really expensive. And yeah. on top of that, they're really heavy. Uh, yeah. When you start to get into like the 24 to 70 range, uh, 2.8, I mean, that I was borrowing that lens recently from Sean. It's got to weigh twice what my lens does. Um, it completely changes the, the, the feel of the camera. Um, oh, so, yeah. you know, I can, I, dude, if you're carrying 10 pounds of gear, you know, so you're carrying gimbals on backpacking trips. Yeah. I go hard, man. Ooh. Now what, I, what uh, gimbal do you use? I just have a gimbal for my GoPro. Oh, I got so, so the, the GoPro hero seven, which I have like three of them that you can get a gimbal for like 80 bucks and the smooth, like settings it has already are like amplified. It's like the craziest shit see i was gonna ask like like, vlogging stuff because like the 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 hyper smooth stabilization Mm -hmm. that the gopro that i've got the seven as well like it's really good on its own do you do you not feel that that's good enough no you add the gimbal yeah it's like it's crazy it's like yeah it's like flying it's like flying a drone it's like on glass gotcha yeah it's amazing but like yeah i i am if i go in the backcountry anymore it's always with camera equipment because this is what I do. I podcast, I I'm on social media, like, like flies on shit, man. Like right. I just love interacting with the people out there that are into the outdoors. Like that's how I met you for sure. Like, for sure. I, I think it's a super awesome resource for the outdoors community and like, you know, nature photography, amazing. I've learned of sweet places. I never would have heard of for sure. Just because of talking to people on Instagram or whatever. And I think it's a, a super awesome resource for the outdoors world or whatever you're into. I don't fly fishing. Like there's a huge fly fishing community on, on Instagram. It's enormous. And so uh, this is always yeah. a question that I was really interested to ask you or and th- that I'm interested to talk to a lot of other adventurers out there that are creating, right? Because a huge component of getting outside for me. And one of the big things that I realized on that float trip, that first one that I went on, is that it's the disconnect for me, right? It's the fact that I can turn off my email and I can turn off my phone and I'm not worried about Instagram and I'm not worried about creating stories and all these other things. But at the same time, I want to capture the, the weekend for a story, like to make a video, a trip report or whatever. Do you find as big of a need to unplug when you're getting outside? Because I have a difficult time balancing, like how much time do I spend away from a camera and how much you know, time do I spend setting up audio equipment and playing with cameras and like doing the whole thing? Well, it depends. I mean, there is, there is trips that I will go on where I am not focused on that as much. Like I'll take my camera, I'll take pictures. Uh, but for me, it's like, 
I love doing this, so it's not like a chore. Right. Like like filming stuff and 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 talking. On, like to, if I do a podcast, like one of my goals this year is to do a podcast with one of my buddies out on the trail. Like go do like a three day hike and do yeah. like a podcast out there. Uh, and and that's like I just enjoy it. Like you hit me up or I hit you up and whatever, and we're like, hey, you want to do this? And I'm like, yeah, because I'm stoked. Like I love doing it. So like. I, I'm, I'm weird in the fact that a lot of people go into nature and try and get away from technology. And I honestly, I don't, it doesn't bother me. Like I don't have that like need, like, like if I'm, if someone on Instagram's hit me up and is like, Oh, what should I, what, what should I get? What should I do for this? Like, I want them to have a good time outdoors. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, it's, I mean, sometimes you do need to unplug. Sometimes I will turn my phone off and not check on social media for hours and hours and hours because it's like overwhelming. Sometimes I get these comments that just go, it's like 30, 40, 50 comments. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm never going to be able to keep up. And then, you know, sometimes you just got to shut it off and not worry about it for a day or so. Or sometimes I'll take a weekend and be like, I'm not posting anything. I'm not doing anything. So, but my main goal is to get people outside that like maybe would be scared, maybe would be not interested and like, that's why I do what I do. I just, I absolutely love it. Like I'm not bullshitting, you know, like, yeah. I'm here. I'm doing this because I know there's people who are scared to go outside. They're scared of bugs. My brother-in-law is up in the most beautiful spot in Northern Michigan right now. And he says he hates it. And I'm like, I'm going to slap you. He sent me a picture of like Lake Superior. Like the, it should be on a calendar. And I'm like, how is this suck? So like I want to bring pe- I want to bring a make it a good experience for people in the outdoors. That's he, like my main goal. I would imagine, and, and I, I I'm really kind of in a very much in line with you, right? Is like I want to try and remove a lot of the barriers and make people feel a lot more comfortable, like jumping in and trying something. Yeah. Um, I love the fact, like one of your quotes or or some of the things that I've seen from you, and I could not agree with you more, is that. People are not going to care about conservation until they have a really good time outdoors and until they can go outside and just flat out enjoy themselves mm-hmm. without being like, oh, well, there's this and there's that and there's all these things. And, and you know, that kind of stuff gets in the way. And, and I've got like legitimate OCD. And so I am big on like cleaning my gear and making sure everything is like tidy and neat and put away. And one of the things that the outdoors will teach you is like, sometimes that shit just doesn't work. Like sometimes your gear's just going to blow around and it's not going to be pretty (laughs) and it's not going to get dry and you just have to throw wet shit in your bag. That's it. It like, it will break down the things that you believe are like sacred to you and just be like, nah, I'm going to do it my way today. You're going to have to just eat it. Um, and I appreciate that. Like, I like the humbling factor of the outdoors. Um, dude, and, and one of the things that I've noticed is that I have a, a hard time sometimes when it comes to filming stuff because I don't naturally just want to, like, I'm not naturally good at seeing the story before it's there. And so I don't go out with, like, a shot list or, you know, like, I'm going to tell this story when I go out there. I'm just filming a bunch of crap and hoping it develops into a story somewhere. And Welcome what I to found, television, my friend. Yeah, right? <laughs> Uh, I heard a news anchor once say, I never let the facts get in the way of a good story. And it really informed the way I looked at things from that point forward. But, um, you know, it's, it's one of the things that I have noticed, though, is that if I'm just shooting still photography, it does help me be really present uh, in the moment. If like not if I'm using my phone, but if I'm using an actual like mirrorless or a DSLR camera and I'm really focusing on 
what am I trying to show people, right? Because it's one thing to just, like, point your camera at a scene and just, like, click, 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 uh, which I think is a great place to start, right? But if you're really trying to show someone, like, a specific component of that moment or of the story, it takes a lot more thought. And to do that, you have to be really present. And I think a lot of people fail to be present when they're outdoors. They're screwing around with their phone. They're trying to make an Instagram story or something like that, which, you know, more power to you. I like some of those things too. Um, but I think a lot of people would benefit from like standing behind the lens of an actual camera. Yeah. I, well, and it's tough. I mean, you see a lot of, of stuff like I believe me, I wish I could go and, and stand at a, on a peak of a mountain and get 20,000 likes, but it's just not going to happen. I mean, look at me, people that have not seen me yet. <laughs> what the hell? It was like a caveman. I think you've like, got the right look. I think you look a lot more outdoorsy than I do. I got like a dad fishing shirt on or some shit. That's outdoors, man. Now, what yeah. you do need, though, is a pheasant. Oh, now that's bad. You need that guy. That's Howard. You, is that yours? Did you uh, get that? No, that was my no. girlfriend's grandfather's, I think. Yeah. That, so, uh, one thing that I wanted to touch on, too, is, is a lot of the... Like your podcast and mine, we're like general outdoors. Like yeah. we'll talk hunting, we'll talk fishing, we'll talk camping, backpacking, kayak, like every everything about the outdoors, and that's important because I feel like it gets segmented so much. Like, oh, this this community of the outdoors is so against hunting because they're vegans, or these people are so against this because they don't like the way people are using the outdoors for the camping. And, and I, I get people a lot will comment like. Oh, I'm just so pissed off that people are littering outside. And I was like, that's what I'm like. There's so much segmentation. And I think it's all, it's, it's a bigger picture because like me, like I personally love hunting. Like I killed that deer right there mm-hmm. in the background. If you can see it like across the street from my house, like yeah. outside this window directly in front of me. And I ate the whole damn thing. Yeah. Like, and you have a very similar uh, ethic with me like if i'm not if i can't eat it basically i'm not gonna kill it you know? yeah sure and that's that's a good that's a good ethic i guess like i don't know what's what's kind of your your thoughts on hunting fishing and why do you yeah. love all of these things so it's life-changing yeah i mean i think i have a fairly balanced approach to most things in in life that i would i'd like to think i mean i think my parents gave me a pretty good upbringing to say like, Hey, you really need to look at both sides of the argument and Mm -hmm. understand both sides. And then also understand that you probably come from a very different set of circumstances than the person that may not feel the same way that you do. Mm -hmm. And so therefore to pass your judgment of their activity or their, you know, behaviors or whatever, is just like, you don't know where they came from. You don't know what they were taught growing up. So, you know, who's to say that you're right or wrong. So, you know, my next door neighbor is a pretty avid hunter and he and I are really good buddies. And, um, you know, I don't do a ton of hunting. I'd like to do some more hunting. And he has been a really good advocate for me. He's been, you know, because if you don't grow up hunting and if your dad or your uncle or somebody that's close to you isn't into it, it's kind of a difficult thing to get into. Um, it's, I didn't, I didn't. Oh, really? I didn't grow up hunting. Okay, no. so then I'm going to hear your story here in a second about how this how you got involved. Um, 
and and Richie's been great. Uh, Richie was episode I don't know five or six of the podcast, but um, definitely check his episode out. But he um, has basically just been like casually inviting me to stuff. So like he recently just said, "Hey man, I got a text. Hey, uh, the a big nature conservatory in Southern Missouri just opened up for public land hunting. I'm going to put in for some permits. It's a you know three four guy system. So if I get one, I can bring a couple people. It's November first is the opening day of pheasant season." And I was like, I've never been deer hunting. I've never been bird hunting. I've never hunted anything. I've just gone fishing. But I want to do some of these things. And he's like, this would probably be a cool way for you to kind of like get into some stuff. It's not as intense as some of the bigger animals. And it's not as, you know, labor intensive. It's not as resource intensive. I think you'll enjoy it. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to go do that. Um, The reason that I think I'm okay with hunting is, A, I think I have a fairly balanced approach to conservation and what it takes to manage uh, uh, populations of animals. Um, You know, I believe that as the quote-unquote alpha species of the planet, um, I don't think that it gives us the right to destroy other species. Mm -hmm. I think it gives us a responsibility to work with other species and and ethically manage them, right? Because... Mm -hmm. Um, we are going to invade their, their territories. That's just part of the growth of the human race. Um, so we can ignore the problem or we can do something about it. And I think that where most, you know, I, I, I've had lots of, of arguments with gun owners uh, or, or with, you know, anti-gun people. And I'm a, I'm a fairly go, a pro-gun guy. And, you know, nobody can ever answer the, and like, look, if there was a magic wand and we could just erase all of the guns from the planet, would I think that that's maybe a good thing? Yeah, sure. Maybe there's no magic wand that can erase the 350 million guns that are in the United States. So to play pretend they're just not going to exist anymore, I think is unfair and unrealistic. I think the same thing about animals, right? Like, okay, we can just not kill any deer, but you're going to play pretend that they're that they're not going to die, right? Because I got news for you. Animals die one of three or four ways. They starve, they die of dehydration, they get eaten by something else's face, or they freeze to death. That's like basically the four ways that most animals, like mammals, die, right? It's 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 bad out there. It's bad, right? You're you're going to get eaten, you're going to freeze, you're going to starve. So if one of those three things is the way you go out, to me, a bullet or an arrow is just as humane. And if we are doing it in a way that is managed by numbers and with biologists and with conservationists involved, and we're doing it in an ethical and moral way, I think it's the best thing for animals. I really do. And I wish that more people would get into the practice because I think it could reduce our, um, you know, our dependency on, on factory farming, uh, which probably isn't the best practice in the world. Yeah. That's, that's coming from a farm owner. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's hard for me to reason with with someone who will be so against hunting, and then they'll go and they'll buy chicken and beef from the store, and this like that's my I problem. I do it too. I I can't catch a deer enough deer to get me through a whole year. You know, like I'm only one dude with so much free time. Like I can't spend all this time hunting. But like, you know, if I if I take a deer, if I butcher the deer myself. I put it in my garage, I cut the meat up, I make hamburger out of it, I put it in my fridge. Uh, like, how is that any different than, uh, it's actually better than someone having a cow raised in a farm and grew up in a, you know, 
10 foot wide cell basically. And like, and I think this is the, uh, quite frankly, I think this is the fault of the, the hunting industry in painting the wrong narrative of what a hunter is. Right. And because there is such a strong image of this like Midwest Hoosier camo wearing, you know, beer slugging, just nut job that just wants to shoot everything in sight mm-hmm. where my next door neighbor, Richie, one of the things that I love most about him is he'll send me Snapchats of him at four 30 in the morning, five 30 in the morning sitting during deer season and blanking all day, like doesn't see a deer all day. He has zero problems being out there all day, enjoying no. that, that sunrise, enjoying the sounds. And one of the things he sends me are, the, the noises of different birds and the noises of different animals. And he'll be like squirrels crawling underneath me right now. Sounds like a black bear. And it, you, you hear it in the back and you're like, Oh my God, that must be terrifying. And if you think that you're more connected to mother nature and to what's going on in the outdoors and to what's going on in that ecosphere than he is, and you're sitting in a city behind the keys of a keyboard, super pissed off that he's out there trying to kill an animal. I would say he's got a much deeper appreciation for what goes on in the, in the natural landscape than that person. And so, you know, I think what, where hunting fails is they don't talk about enough of the time that's spent not killing animals. Well, the, the, I've only been hunting for like three years now. And like, it's something my buddy got me into. Uh, I used to work for the parks and I met like, so when I came home from the trail, uh, I met some of these, like the most awesome people I've ever met in my life. And my one, my one buddy, Bill, who's been on, on the podcast, he was like, you know, I haven't been hunting in 10 years, man. Like I want to get back out. I was like, dude, where I live, my father-in-law owns the wood lot across the street. Like if you show me what to do, I'll go out there. And I got a deer in my first season. No joke. And like it changed my life, dude. Like I, I literally, I think it's the coolest thing ever. I got into archery because of it. It extends the season by months and months. It's hard. like if you think archery is easy, like you go on there and watch Cam Haynes like nailing like <laughs> like like two hundred yard shots. Like you're out of your mind. Like hitting twenty yards is brutal when you start. And then I have this debate. Getting, with, like I have this debate with my yeah. friend Jason all the time. He thinks it's so easy, and I keep telling him it's got to be harder no. than you think. It is brutally hard i mean i've spent two three years at the archery range and i'm just now like maybe getting good at hitting like a 40 to 60 yard target no joke now have you gotten professional instruction or are you just trying to figure it out on your own my buddy bill is a a professional instructor oh no everything i mean i started with a piece of shit bow that he gave me and then I sold it and bought like a thousand dollar like bear bow <laughs> and it's like night and day. But I'm saying it's just like backpacking that progression. Like you get addicted to it and then you realize like your chances get better. And like you said on, on one of your episodes, like, man, if you think hunting is free food, you're out of your mind. I spent more money on hunting equipment than backpacking equipment. Like, oh, holy shit. easily. And I mean, on top of that, like if you think that a backpacking trip is going to be a fun vacation, like you're signing up for a lot of work. Like most, not not only are you walking a long ways, like camp chores can be labor intensive. Um, You know, if it's really cold outside, it can be difficult just maintaining your water. Um, There's lots of little things that take a lot of work. And it seems like every time I come home from a backpacking trip, I'm just beat to hell. Um, And I don't go back to work on Monday going like, man, I sure am refreshed from that 
lovely jaunt in the woods. It's normally like, oh my but god, it's gonna take me a week to recover. Ex- it's the experience, though, one hundred percent, and it's it's like, the work, right? I mean, like I've done a, a frozen butt hang in in Missouri where it got down to like negative three. Uh, I've got a video of it on my YouTube channel, and I basically sat up awake from eleven forty five at night till seven in the morning because I couldn't get warm enough. I didn't have the right gear. And but those those are the nights, man. Those are the nights that are awesome. Yeah. Like it's the stuff that sucks when it happens is like when you look back on it, you're like, that shit made me so much tougher. And like I never I never claim that the outdoors is always fun. Like I've done 30, 40 mile loop trails and like I've been the last three miles back to the car, my my legs are in agony Eat or your my death. feet hurt. But like it's not about that. It's about the experience of like, yeah, sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. and there's a bear. But, dude, I woke up at 3 a.m. and there was a fucking bear. That's so cool. Like, or like you you see stuff. You sit on a log at the end of the day exhausted and you're eating, you know, ramen or whatever you pack. The ramen bomb. I know you're a fan of the ramen oh. bomb. Uh, but you see like this crazy little bird you've never seen before you see a sunset drop behind a mountain or you see like like just the the stillness of nature and there's nothing there's no sound and you're like this is it all this pain all this planning all this like bullshit and money is for this moment right here like and there's a good chance like depending on where you're backpacking you might touch a tree or a rock that no human in the history of the Mm -hmm. planet has touched it's amazing. That is wild. Uh, I mean, to me, that is the coolest part is that you have no idea who's been there before you, what's going to come after you. And there are these incredible landscapes out there that very few people see. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when, when Sarah and I went backpacking in Yosemite, there's this place uh, called Artist Point. And I want to say that Ansel Adams took some of his photographs from there. I can't confirm or deny that, but I I believe so. Um, And if you've ever been to Yosemite, the place that everybody wants to go is Tunnel View. Obviously, you know, Half Dome and El Cap and all that stuff. But, like, the view down the valley of uh, of Yosemite is this place called Tunnel View. And it's an absolute madhouse of cars and people and everybody trying to take the same photograph. And about a mile and a half up the trail from there is this overlook. And nobody goes there. And I can't quite figure it out. And Sarah and I went there. And I'll send you some photos. I got some photos on my website. I have these unbelievable shots of Yosemite Valley, of Sarah and I, and of just the valley floor. I took 30 seconds of video just so I'd have a backdrop so that I could green screen stuff. And we didn't see another human being for an hour and a half. We're like a mile and a half away from thousands of people just going bananas. And that little mile and a half walk that nobody else is willing to do because it's pretty much straight uphill gives you complete solitude. And this just silence over Yosemite Valley. And you just see this unbelievable vista. And we got there on a day where it was like just overcast in the right way where you had this beautiful diffused light over the entire valley. And... It was, I'll show you the photos. It doesn't look real. It looks like we're standing in front of a backdrop. It was that perfect. And there's those moments that just hit you. And you just Mm -hmm. go like, oh, you can't see this anywhere else. 
You have to do this. You have to come here. And that's, for me, that's what it's all about. I will suffer for that because it's so rare anymore that we're getting that. And it's like, that's what I do it for. But <laughs> I just looked at the clock and I called it. We were, <laughs> we've been talking for so damn long. Oh my God. I, be- before you go. Yeah, though, yeah, yeah. I do, we'll do I more do of these. Really, I want to hear, I love hearing everyone's like craziest experience in the woods. Like what's, if you had to think of like one memory that was like, this yeah. is the craziest shit that's ever happened to me. Like I love it because I have, I have a couple and I'm always like, I want to hear other people's because. Yeah. Yeah. So my uh, ex-girlfriend and I, um, her name was Ashley. Um, we got into backpacking together. And quite frankly, what happened was I went on this flow trip. I came home. I got super into it. I started building a spreadsheet of everything we were going to buy and all the gear and just like researching the shit out of it. Mm-hmm. And literally one night I had just bored her to death and she was like, all right, screw it. Let's go. And I was like, what do you mean? She's going like, she goes, we're going to REI. We're buying everything. I was like, what do you mean we're buying everything? She's like, I'm taking my credit card and we're going to buy. I don't care what it costs. We're just going to do it. And it was like $3,500 worth of gear. I mean, we bought Gregory Gregory Baltoro backpacks, tents, clothes, boots, the whole thing for both of us. Expensive cook sets, the whole thing. We walk out. We have all of our gear. There's a place in St. Louis called Bell Mountain where I did my uh, frozen butt hang. And I think I've got another video somewhere on the website about it. But it's this beautiful... 600 foot overlook in which when you're in a state that the maximum heights 1800 feet 600 feet is a big overlook and it trust me i know the feeling man exactly you're in ohio (laughs) you're in the same spot uh and there's this unbelievable gorgeous overlook and you see you know those incredible trees and we had this really a beautiful setup and beautiful fall season i think it was right around october so the weather was perfect and everything was great And we didn't know what the hell we were doing when we got out there. And we did like a 10-mile loop to get into the day, and we were both exhausted and worn the hell out. And we get to the top of this area where there's supposed to be this overlook, and we couldn't figure it out. And literally, I was too stupid to know, like, hey, there's an overlook, but for some reason there's trees blocking the overlook. Well, maybe we should just go through the trees and get closer to the edge. So this guy comes out of the woods out of nowhere. We're, like, setting up our gear. And this guy comes out of the woods out of nowhere, kind of over near the edge, and goes, hey, I why are you guys setting up over here? The view's over there. And we were like, oh, we didn't really know where to go. And he was like, oh, yeah, you just follow me. There's some spots near us. You can come chill with us. I was like, oh, great, cool, perfect. So this guy kind of wanders us back through these woods, and all of a sudden, boom, there's the overlook. And it's like, oh, and we just see this (laughs) incredible, what we've been laboring for for the last few months. And so we're sitting there. We cook a nice meal. We go to bed. Everything's great. We're in our tent. Everything's cool. It's probably like 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night. And all of a sudden, I just hear the telltale signs of a dude unloading a clip out of a gun. What? And I peek through the tent, and this dude is loading another uh, another clip into like a, a straight up semi automatic handgun, Glock, M and P, whatever you want to call it, and just standing at the edge of this cliff, unloading off into the distance. Just the single most dangerous thing you can do with a gun. Right. And I have a friend from college whose three, four year old son was killed by an errant bullet in the outdoors, like in front of his dad. So I'm very pissed off about that kind of stuff. Like I'm yeah. a, I'm a, I'm a gun advocate, but only if you are a good gun owner. And this guy clearly is the worst kind of gun owner. 
Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh my God, this guy's drunk and we're going to get killed. And literally as he finishes the last bullet, I hear his girlfriend go, Jared, calm down, come over here and have another shot of fireball. <laughs> oh my God. And we're That's... 25 feet, 25, maybe 30 feet away from them. Like there's some hedges and some bushes separating the two of us, but it's like two campsites right next to each other. And I'm just Why thinking this guy's going to forget we're there and just yeah. turn into the woods and just start unlo- I'm like we're going to die in our tent tonight. And I yes. the guy like the way we were laying, he was kind of behind my head and I'm just thinking like this thing's going to come through my shoulder and the, you know, we're 10 miles away from the car. And if anything happens, we're completely screwed. And my girlfriend at the time was like we got to get out of here, we got to get out of here and I'm like, yeah, but making like we can't pack up all of our stuff at nine o'clock at night and just like boogie down the trail. They're going to be like, what the fuck are you, where are you guys going? So I, I, we just stayed there. And then all of a sudden the dude just goes, screw this. I'm leaving. And he just wanders off into the woods. Oh my God. I never heard another word from him. And she and I just sat there like, uh, just like borderline paralyzed until we essentially just fell asleep like an hour later out of, not know like never heard from him again. And seven thirty the next morning we woke up, they were gone. Never heard yeah. another peep from them. They were gone. Like the whole campsite was empty. They were gone. They'd packed up and left. And I never heard another word from the guy. Dude, that is n- that's first backpacking that's the, trip. That's one of the things that you always laugh about when people are like, Oh, there's bears out here. I need to bring a gun. I'm like, bears are your least concern, my dude. It's idiots like that are your much more like that you should be scared of. And, and that's probably a rare occurrence. How many times oh. have you been backpacking since? Like, yeah. And, and I mean, look, I, when we started backpacking, I, I was freaked out about bears and I looked up the statistics and I could be completely off. So somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the statistic that I looked at last time, was like, there's 26 bear attacks in the United States on an annual basis. And like, it's super low. 90% of them are in the Yukon, right? It's like Alaska, Montana, Wyoming, like really rugged rural areas. Nobody really ever gets attacked in Missouri. And of the people that do get attacked, it barely, very, very few of them die. Now, granted, I think you may want to die if you get attacked by a bear. <laughs> but I was like, if that's the numbers, the chances of it being me are so infinitesimally low. And yeah. I've never run into another problem on the trail. That's the beautiful thing about backpacking is that most backpackers are incredibly nice, very mm-hmm. kind like helpful people. Uh, Sarah and I buried our backpacks under some trees in Yosemite because we were, and and I'll finish with this and I'll let you get to your evening. But basically we were at a campsite. We were going to leave through one trailhead and then come through a different trailhead back to that campsite because we wanted to just see a different part of this trail. And we were going to be going uphill there and uphill back And Sarah was like, why wouldn't we just leave our backpacks here and just go for the day hike and then come back? And I was like, all of our gear? And she was like, yeah, let's just leave it. Like, let's just like, you know, put it behind a tree somewhere. And I was like, you just want me to take my backpack, like all my gear that I've spent all this money on and just stick it behind a tree somewhere and then walk away Mm -hmm. for six, eight hours and come back. And she was like, yeah. And so we ended up doing that. And we buried all of our gear under a bunch of pine bows and stuff like 50 feet off of a trail and I marked it with my GPS and then we left one trail and we came back in another one and sure enough, I was all there. Uh, But I was freaking out 
the entire time that someone was going to steal our gear. And when I realized, when I got back, I was like, you know what? Backpackers aren't thieves. They're just yeah, like, who's going to carry an extra 30 pounds or whatever. And, and, and like, <laughs> even if I saw somebody else's gear that had better gear, like I, I just don't see backpackers being that kind of people. And I've never mm-hmm. experienced that. I've never seen people screw with other people's campsites. It's never been a problem. So I don't know why that popped into my head. Um, but I think if somebody would have come across our gear, they just would have left it there. More than likely, yeah. I've heard on the trail, I heard of people getting a few things stolen here and there, but it wasn't like all their gear. Like you'd have to be uh, insane to try and like hump someone's entire pack out while you have your own yeah. pack. Like, well, the AT is a little bit of a weird spot too, right? I mean, there's so many people on it uh, oh, yeah. that I could see if you if you were desperate and you didn't have something. I heard about it one time. Yeah. In six months. Yeah. So, I mean, it's still, it's it's rare. I think backpackers, by definition, are really good at dealing without, right? Like, that's kind of part of the, the, the hobby. So, I, I don't think it goes naturally for someone that's good yeah. at dealing without to take somebody else's thing because they want it so bad. Exactly. So, hey, man, uh, we're going on, what, an hour and a half, two hours? Dude, but, this is uh, Appreciate talking to you, man. It was a really good conversation. We'll have to do this again sometime. Uh, yeah, I mean, we probably touch, like barely scratched the surface of all the stories we have to tell. So uh, on that note, man, I'll talk to you later. It's awesome. Dude, this was Check a ton of fun. I appreciate it. Peace out. See ya. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening to that episode. My buddy Paul from Aptitude Outdoors is literally one of the most fun people that I've met since starting my channel, and it's really a big part of why I did this in the first place. It was really an opportunity to connect with some other really fun adventurers and get to know them and ask them questions and really kind of pick their brains and hopefully learn new skills faster. So thank you so much to Paul for joining me on the episode. If you have not already checked out his channel, definitely go check him out on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, he's literally everywhere. His podcast is fantastic. And if you didn't get the chance to check this episode out in video, definitely go check out his YouTube channel because we actually published, uh, or he published this video uh, on his channel, and I'm really, really excited to check it out. So thanks so much, Paul, for joining me. Thanks so much for everybody for listening. We'll see you on the next one with my buddy, Raph Lose. We're going to talk about... Uh, running and camping and cooking and all kinds of fun stuff in the outdoors. So definitely don't want to miss that. Talk to you guys on the next one.